From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. Denials are always a huge struggle, and we were able to, to get a better handle about our denials, where they're coming from, and where we need to focus on them. And in this process, we learned a great deal about eligibility benefit denials and really how your uh, clearinghouse, your slash practice uh, management system can at times not really help you a lot in that regard. That's Steve Sinclair talking about how denials can be a constant trouble spot for medical practices. We'll hear more from Steve as well as Ryan Lawler on how Steve's practice has analyzed various processes and systems to become an MGMA better performer. But first, a word from our sponsors. Innovative therapies are bringing new possibilities and hope for populations with rare neuromuscular disease. However, these important advances come with cost and administrative challenges. Read a new white paper from Sarepta Therapeutics at mgma.com slash Sarepta. This white paper outlines actionable ways organizations can build a business case to gain buy-in for cutting-edge care and optimize access through standard operating procedures that align with payer criteria. Again, to view the paper, visit mgma.com slash Sarepta. The COVID-19 pandemic has ushered in dramatic changes for physician practices. During this unprecedented time, many practices are considering what operational changes they need to implement to navigate periods of fluctuating patient volume. Access a thought leadership discussion with R1 and three physician group leaders to hear key learnings on sustaining positive practice performance. To attend this free educational program, please visit r1rcm.com slash MGMA. At MGMA's Management Practice Excellence Conference, I had the opportunity to sit down with MGMA data analyst Ryan Lawler, who explains the criteria used in the Better Performer process, and also Steve Sinclair, who's CFO of Graves Gilbert Clinic, and who discusses how data analysis has taken his practice to a new level. Steve also offers steps other practices can take to become a better performer. Let's go now to our conversation with Ryan Lawler. Ryan, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Daniel. Good to be here. Now, we're going to be talking about MGMA Better Performer. So let's define that. What is that? So the, the determining criteria we use has morphed over time, just much like the industry itself. Um, throughout that time, though, MGMA has continued to kind of take pride in recognizing outstanding performance amongst medical practices. Um, so we've been leveraging the expansive data set we have um, for provider compensation and medical practice revenue and expense data collected during our annual surveys to show sup that superior, superior performance 
um, dating back as far as the 1990s. Okay. Now, um, how does the group become a better performer? So, so what we do is we conduct three voluntary self-reported surveys on an annual basis with a staggered participation window. So we'll conduct our compensation and production survey starting in the beginning of January of each year. And then we'll follow that up immediately with our cost and revenue and practice operation survey at the beginning of March. Um, and then each of, so each of those surveys is open to virtually any medical practice setting um, with just a few slight exceptions, but it's available to both MGMA members and non-members. Um, I mention this because to become a better performer, it's, it's crucial that to participate across those surveys. So the criteria we're using on an annual basis to evaluate better performers um, come, is coming directly out of the data submitted in those surveys themselves. Okay, so you're looking at a lot of different data points. So what is the criteria that you guys are looking at? And so as I said, we've, it's morphed and changed over time. And we realize that there's really no one size fits all approach in determining superior performance within a practice. So whether just like anything, whether you're determining or evaluating a business, an individual, or quite literally anything, there's going to be a variety of strengths that we can be identified. So because of this, we break our better performer criteria out across four separate distinct categories. So those being operations, productivity, profitability, and value. And then within each of those categories, we'll have a set of criteria that they must achieve in order to meet the, get that status within that each uh, category. Um, so evaluating groups across four separate categories gives us the chance to evaluate them on a specialty level as well as ownership in a way that gives us a chance to kind of look at them in a more holistic manner. Okay. So what does it mean to be a better performer? And by that, I mean, uh, how do you capitalize on the recognition? What are some ways that uh, one of these better performers can kind of get the word out and people know about it? Certainly. Well, and for starters, being a better performer really is no easy achievement to get. Um, in addition to just the the sheer time and energy and resources spent contributing that necessary data for us to evaluate them on. Um, really only a small percentage of groups will receive the recognition itself. So this year, for example, we had a total of 3,864 groups that we were evaluating on. Um, and of those just 1,036, so roughly 27% um, were determined to be a better performer in at least one of those four categories I mentioned. And then so for those that achieve that status in one of those categories, we provide them a number of materials to kind of announce this achievement. So um, those recognition materials will include uh, certificates that they can display on their, the walls of the practice, um, badges that, that can be placed, whether it be on the website or their email signatures, and then also a press release template that they can use to publicize that, their achievement. Um, on top of that is some, for the organization itself, it could lead to some positive exposure, whether that be in articles or interviews done by, by our staff at MGMA. Overall, just wanting to provide a number of kind of avenues that they can recognize themselves for, for that better, better performer achievement. Okay, that's great. Um, it's kind of like uh, getting into an Ivy League school or something though, you know, the kind of that acceptance rate, that's awesome. Um, so let's briefly talk about the results from this year. Um, were there any trends that you guys saw that kind of emerged from all the data? Definitely. And we, so we recently released um, a white paper called the MGMA Data Dive Better Performers, Performance and Practices of Successful Medical Groups. 
Um, I'd highly recommend that to anyone who's interested in kind of getting in a little in a little into it more on the, some of those trends we'll see. Um, some overarching trends that we will see pretty much year over year is that while better performing practices um, tend to spend more on operating expenses, what we see is that the return on investment there is that they tend to also have far higher total medical revenue. So really demonstrating that the investments in your staff and operating expenses really has that payoff on the bottom line. Um, that report in, in general kind of really leverages the data that we have and kind of highlights those trends in a little more detail. So if anyone wants to kind of get a little more into that and familiarize themselves with those trends, that would be a, a great place to start. Okay. Now, I did want to ask, is there somewhere people can go to get that white paper? Where would they find it? Certainly. It'll be on the MGMA website. It's just a simple um, form fill out that you'll have to fill out, and it'll come as a PDF download that you can get right off the website. Um, and it's, a, it's free to anyone who fills that out. Okay, great. Now, final question. Um, I'm going to be talking to the CFO of one of your better performers in just a moment, Steve Sinclair of Graves Gilbert Clinic. Uh, was there anything about their data that stood out to you? Well, first and foremost, it's again that that time and energy committed by Steve, his team, and that organization themselves is again takes quite the dedication, and we really do recognize that and appreciate that. When we look at the Graves Gilbert Clinic themselves in terms of what they submitted, what stands out is that they were quite truly a one of a kind organization in our data this year. And what I mean by that is of those 3,864 groups we evaluated, they truly were the, the one and the only group that um, achieved better performer status in all four of those categories. Wow. So a very astounding achievement, something that they should be proud of and shows the hard work that they're doing at their organization. Okay. Well, Ryan, thanks so much for joining us and providing these insights on better performers. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. That was great. Uh, thanks to Ryan Lawler again for providing insights on better performers criteria. Now let's hear from Steve Sinclair, Chief Financial Officer of Graves Gilbert Clinic. Steve, thanks so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be with you, uh, Daniel. Thanks for uh, asking me to be a part of this. Yeah, and I, I just, first of all, I want to congratulate you on being named an MGMA Better Performer. Uh, Daniel, thanks. So we are very excited about that. Uh, that is quite an honor for MGMA to recognize uh, our group, and uh, uh, it just helps to affirm some of the good work that our people have been doing uh, uh, to try to make us better, <laughs> that the MGMA, MGMA can quantify that. Yeah, when you were first filling that information out and then tracking it, did you did you think you were going to be a better performer? Did you have an idea what was going through your mind at that point? Well, our, our group has been recognized as a better performer for many years, so I wasn't surprised that we were recognized based upon our 2019 performance, which was a very good year for us. So um, uh, it really didn't hear my mind about being interviewed uh, by MGMA, e even though I have uh, been interviewed before in previous years where we were a uh, winner uh, recognized as a better performer. Uh, so uh, I was familiar with that, but really didn't think about it. So I'm uh, pleasantly surprised that that, uh, that that has happened. Yeah. Now, let's give our audience a little idea about your practice. You've been talking about it, but Let's talk about the size and scope of the practice and any specialties you have there. 
Okay. Well, we're a physician-owned multi-specialty clinic uh, in South Central Kentucky, and we're approximately an hour north of Nashville and one and a half hours south of Louisville. And we have approximately 200 providers, 117 doctors and 82 mid-levels. Uh, we're a primary care subspecialty clinic. So we have uh, primary care that you would expect to find, uh, family practice, internal medicine, uh, uh, and then OB if you consider that primary care. And then the uh, most of the medicine subspecialties and many of the surgical procedural based specialists. Uh, our mid-level uh, providers function in both primary care as well as specialty areas. We have uh, ancillary services provided uh, by the clinic and, uh, extensively uh, with a large and comprehensive lab, x-ray and physical therapy departments, and extensive ancillary services provided within the physician offices. Uh, we have the largest network of walking clinics in South Central Kentucky, and additionally, we have a significant presence in providing care within the workplace. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks for that. Thanks for sharing that information for us. That's very helpful to know what you guys are dealing with and what you're going through there. Mm -hmm. um, now, let's talk about you specifically. What is your day-to-day -day like? What's your focus on right there in the practice? Uh, probably most of my colleagues can readily relate to this statement, but it seems that as each year passes, what you will face on a day-to-day -day basis becomes less and less predictable. Perhaps this year with the COVID-19 uh, pandemic uh, thrown into the mix, probably highlights that sentiment very well. Uh, but as uh, the clinic's chief financial officer, there's a constant focus upon revenue cycle matters that uh, uh, generally center upon registration, coding, and billing. Achieving excellence in these areas is important to maximize the management of the financial aspects of our patient experience with the clinic. Patients can receive great medical care, but if we don't handle their accounts well, then they haven't received the best possible experience that they should. Uh, also, overseeing the accounting function is crucial because this provides the basis upon which we report to our board and committees about the financial performance of the clinic through budgets and forecasts. Uh, and also, uh, it's crucial in helping to, uh, uh, um, uh, to uh, estimate the provider compensation, which is crucial to our group. Uh, as an independent physician-owned group, maximizing, maximizing provider compensation is critical to our success. Uh, I am also responsible for the computer services aspect of our organization. Uh, and so there's challenges there in an uneven way. Sometimes you're, you're dealing with projects that involve the computer services that take a lot of your time. Uh, we are very fortunate to have a great uh, IS team. And, and other times, maybe it's not so much. Uh, so it's, a, it's a kind of an up and down uh, aspect as to uh, how much time that you have to spend in that area. Uh, payer contracting is a constant issue. You're all the time dealing with, uh, with those things, um, uh, trying to maximize what you can uh, get on the commercial side, obviously. Uh, then you have purchasing, retirement plan management, uh, banking rate relationships and physician recruitment. And so you keep your day pretty well occupied with those type of uh, aspects. I would, what you would typically expect in, a, in the uh, uh, occupation of a chief financial officer of a medical group. Yeah, I would think so. Now, you mentioned 2019 was a particularly good year for you guys. Oh. Before we take, we're going to take a really deep dive into the practice and what 2019 looked like. Um, we're not going to get into the data with 2020 because this has been such an right. interesting and, and unique year. And hopefully, fingers crossed, we never have another one like this. But right. 
Um, as far as 2020 is concerned, you were talking about the you being involved with the IT, the health IT there. What has that been like uh, as far as maybe some virtual visits, remote mm -hmm. uh, patient monitoring, anything along those lines? Um, what differences did you have in this in this 2020 so far this year? Uh, well, we had to switch uh, on a dime to providing several telemedicine visits uh, through both the uh, uh, the normal clinical uh, uh, relationships that our patients have with our physicians, and then also from uh, the standpoint of our, our occupational side. So we had to quickly ramp up our capabilities there, and our uh, IT staff did a great job of doing that. And uh, uh, while that really helped us through the initial couple, three months of the COVID-19 uh, uh, pandemic, the last, uh, as we've gotten back to normalcy, quote normalcy, mm -hmm. uh, uh, that has been a supplement we, we still use but patients have tended to want to actually come in and actually be in a one-on-one -on -one, uh, relationship with the physicians, what we have found. So we've kind of reverted more to that. So our, our patient counters and, and uh, our uh, billings have, have almost reached a normal level for us. Mm -hmm. Okay, thanks for that. Now, let's go back to 2019. Let's, let's really go into the numbers here. First of all, I want you to look at it from a macro level. You said 2019 was a particularly good year for you guys. Right. What was taking place? Why is that the case? What was happening where you were really happy with those numbers and where it helped you guys be better performers uh, with MGMA? Well, uh, first of all, the productivity among our providers is excellent. Uh, we have a definition of full-time practice for our physicians that is based upon the MGMA survey data of median work RVEs for each specialty. Uh, so this is very helpful in keeping everyone pulling their own weight, which contributes to maintaining financial stability for us. Uh, so productivity is a real plus for us, and the numbers from the survey show that. Uh, controlling overhead cost uh, is quite important to us, uh, being an independent group, uh, and the uh, MGMA cost and revenue survey reports uh, are very helpful in help us to, helping us to understand the trends in cost management. Uh, so uh, it, it, we can get better informed decisions about what we need to do on the expense side of the revenue minus expense equal compensation equation uh, and by helping us to know where we need to, to look further at uh, cost on the, uh, 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 in our organization, trying to keep those cost under control. Again, one of the other areas that I think we've, according to the survey data, in, in comparison to our peers, we've done a good job with that. So very, very important part of that equation. Mm -hmm. uh, the other part, of course, uh, the big part is the revenue. Uh, that's the area that you can um, uh, hopefully contribute to growing that. Again, uh, excellent productivity on part of our providers help us there. But at the same time, you have to utilize uh, 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 you have to go deeper than just uh, maybe what's in your practice management system. We, we actually have a third party called Impart Knowledge that helps us to analyze our revenue cycle processes. And that's yielded a lot of positive results for us uh, it, because it goes into very specific details of that revenue cycle process that we wouldn't really touch on if we didn't have them to help 
help us in that. So uh, that has helped to focus on areas that we can improve on so that we can maximize the cash flow into our organization. Yeah, so let's touch on a few of those things. Controlling costs, let's start with that one first. You said that is uh, just, you know, so important to you guys. Easier said than done, though, as you know. So <laughs> what has been um, your success then in kind of controlling those costs, keeping those um, you know, manageable and, but still being able to grow that revenue. So let's go with the, the cost first. Well, on the, uh, the biggest uh, expense item that we have uh, outside of physicians, the non-physician cost is support staff. Okay. So uh, in our uh, compensation calculations, compensation formula, the physicians are responsible for uh, workers, support staff that work directly for them. So that helps to provide a way to control that aspect. Uh, then we can look at other departments, for example, billing coding, uh, accounting, uh, IS, uh, uh, x-ray, et cetera, to look and see if the staffing models uh, reflect the costs that are incurred by other groups for those divisions within the organization. And if we do a good job of managing those, that gets us a long way down the road in maintaining cost control because as I said earlier, it's their biggest expense item outside of the physician's comp. Okay. Now, one other thing you had just mentioned was using a, a, a third party to help you with some of that rev cycle analysis there. That's a decision you have to make on cost. Do you, do you go to that third party? Do you bring people in? So talk about that. What was sort of the analysis, the decisions behind going with a third party rather than perhaps, you know, keeping things in house? Good question, uh, Daniel. On, on that, uh, one of the things that was kind of a, uh, uh, a byproduct of that decision that I really hadn't uh, considered early on was was by having someone on the outside looking at our revenue cycle, that person is incentivized to tell us all the bad news, <laughs> to justify their existence. Right. If you have the revenue cycle person in-house, they're incentivized to make it look like they're doing a good job. <laughs> and <laughs> good so I'm, I'm looking at it to say, outside, they're gonna tell you all the warts, which is what you need to hear. The person on the inside is wanting to make you feel like they're doing a good job. I'm not saying that's bad, it's just human nature. And so I think having that person on the outside uh, was a good financial decision because we actually uh, have been able to engage with that person at what I feel is a very fair cost. And then, like I said earlier, I think that person is really pushing us very hard to get better. And that's what we need. That's what we want. Okay. You mentioned warts. So they brought <laughs> up some warts to you guys. What were some of those? What were some of the things that just needed uh, a little help there? Well, uh, denials are always a huge struggle, mm -hmm. and we were able to, to get a better handle about our denials, where they're coming from, and where we need to focus on them. And in this process, we learned a great deal about eligibility benefit denials and really how your uh, clearinghouse, your slash practice uh, management system can at times not really help you a lot in that regard so that you don't really, even if you're on the 5010 format for 270 submissions, you may not be getting 
giving all the information you need, or when you get the information back from the payers, the uh, 271s may not be applied appropriately so that you're getting uh, denials from either the clearinghouse level or the payer level. And we really have learned a lot and have improved that dramatically. And that's been a big plus for us. Not that there's several other places as well, but ultimately benefit denials are, are a huge uh, problem, I think, for a lot of groups that, that, that aren't even their errors, their problems. It's almost inherent in the systems that we work in in this, in this environment. Okay. So as far as the revenue side, anything else uh, you want to tell us from that side of it, where you were really examining things, you saw um, some additional opportunities where you could drive revenue and, and maximize it? Right. Uh, really, what, what we did was we went into this probably about three years ago, trying to uh, eliminate denials. Our goal was, and, and this is obviously over an overstatement, but to have no denials. But we wanted to set the bar high so that we could achieve some some strong results in, in, in eliminating denials because denials really just, they tell you a lot about your processes, about your failures in your processes. And uh, in that attempt to eliminate those denials, we have found out so many things that, that could be improved uh, that, uh, for example, we have about 700 authorizations a day within our group. Uh, that's a big task for our people. Uh, and we've gotten the authorization denials down to set an average of seven per day. Okay, so that's very low. But we're also trying to automate that process so that not only can we get even better than, than seven, we're not happy with just seven, we want to get it less than seven, but at the same time, we want to reduce the time that's spent, which is obviously money spent, uh, in actually obtaining that many authorizations on a daily basis. So we're working with a company called Exchange EDI. We've done a pilot project with them uh, that has, uh, uh, we in our x-ray department that has uh, turned out very well. And we're at the stage of getting an interface in place between Allscripts, which is our PMM, uh, our provider, uh, and uh, Exchange EDI that can then take advantage of that for uh, all of our departments. Mm -hmm. Steve, uh, as you got deeper into the data, continued to benchmark, looked at how you guys were stacking up, what, what surprised you, if anything, about that data? Well, there, it, the data really didn't surprise me that much. Since we've been a better performer for several years, mm -hmm. I, I was kind of expecting that that would occur again. Uh, however, uh, one uh, statistic that caught my eye was that we are – apparently just slightly less than the median for total cost per total total RVUs. Okay. And so it would seem to indicate to me that a uh, significant uh, contribution of ancillary services into our group uh, that does enhance provider compensation, but at the same time adds to our practice expense portion of the work of the RVU calculation. Uh, and then limited profit margins that we experience on walk-in cares uh, and occupational uh, medicine can also contribute to that. So that's my initial thoughts in, in looking at that data. And that was one of the things that kind of jumped out at me. But it's so true for our group. Uh, also, we have a, a three oncologists, and they have a very uh, large spend on uh, oncology drugs. Uh, and, and, and that affects our overall operation as well. So those factors there, I think, contributed to that, to that result.
Okay. Okay. Now, are there, uh, have you, have you had chance to really address that and, and begin to make changes or is it something that you're still, uh, analyzing to see what some of those next steps would be? I think, I think most of these things are kind of built in an organization that would be very difficult to change. It's just okay. who we are, the ancillaries, the drugs, a, a large drug spend, uh, the walking care, the occupational medicine are just part of our organization. So I don't know that we can really move that needle, change that a whole lot. Okay. Okay. Now, as you said, you guys have been better performers before. So you've been through this process. You, you've been benchmarking. You've been analyzing the data. But as you've done this year to year, how has it made you a better practice? How has it made you personally a better manager and a, have a better grasp and understanding of what you guys are doing and, and where you need to raise the game a little bit? Well, uh, I think overall that better performer process reporting has done more to validate our thinking. Uh, and and, and I, I think that validation is essential is that once we've established a thought process, uh, having the third party revenue cycle manager in place, and then going through some of that uh, work and effort down that road, based on that thinking process, then participating in the MGMA survey process then will either help to validate we're making good decisions or we need to rethink what we're doing. And, and I think by, again, being a better performer and getting the, re the results that we're getting uh, just helps to validate that some of these, many of our decisions are good ones and, and doesn't mean that we're done. I, the, the, the goal line is always changing. It's always moving. Uh, what worked for us uh, a few years ago uh, now needs to usually be modified or perhaps even scrapped. Uh, so uh, one of the areas that, that for example, that, that we're working on right now, and I know we're, we're trying to improve on is our upfront collections. And we're in the process of implementing Allscript's patient engagement platform. And, and that's gonna be a really good tool to help us to do that. And one of the things that we've stumbled across is that it appears that patients are more apt to pay a balance on their account from a computer telling them that than a human. And that's just one of the things we've come across in this process. So uh, it's part of the journey that we're going through that MGMA's helping us to validate. Oh, that's great. Um, so for practices who are considering going through this process, what's some advice you'd give them since you're a veteran of going through better performers for several years now? Well, I would tell them to spend time looking at your group's processes, in particular your revenue cycle, with the goal, I'd state as the goal of eliminating all denials, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, it will take a considerable, considerable amount of time and effort to do that. This is not something that's a quick fix. In fact, it'll probably take a few years to realize your goals uh, because there's more aspects to this than a lot of people realize. So uh, every aspect of your operational failure is summed up in denials. So in the end, eliminating denials ends up maximizing cash flow. So it's like, almost like in finding uh, a hidden treasure when you do that. So that's helped us tremendously and it helped us a lot in 2019. We found a lot of hidden treasure uh, that the work had begun years ago and we found the treasure in 19. Okay. So before we sign off then, any final thoughts then you'd like to share with our listeners uh, about the Better Performer Program? 
Uh, yeah, uh, I think uh, uh, it's really difficult, especially in this day and time, to have enough talent within your organization to tackle all the complexities of the healthcare uh, system that we're, we're having to, to deal with now. Uh, it's getting very difficult to find and hire the good talent. So I, I would encourage people to take advantage of good vendors and partners that can help you to supplement the, the expertise you have in-house to help you to get to that next level of success. Okay. Well, Steve, once again, congratulations on being named a better performer and thanks for sharing these insights with us today. Well, Daniel, thank you very much. We appreciate being a partner with MGMA. I've been a member for uh, 34 years and uh, it's been a, a great partnership with a great organization. Well, that's gonna do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guests, Ryan Lawler and Steve Sinclair. And thanks to Sarepta and to R1 RCM for sponsoring this week's show. You can read a new white paper from Sarepta Therapeutics at mgma.com slash Sarepta. And you can access a thought leadership discussion with R1 and three physician group leaders to hear key learnings on sustaining positive practice performance. To attend this free educational program, please visit r1rcm.com slash mgma. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership. Thanks.